Hey, it's Gabe. I want to recommend a podcast I think you'll enjoy called What Could Go Right. On What Could Go Right, the hosts, Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva-Lucas, sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues. They look back at how far society has come and look forward to what it will take to achieve a brighter future. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, listen to What Could Go Right wherever you get your podcasts. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey guys, the show's currently on break until the new year, but we've got plenty of classic episodes to tide you over. Enjoy this trip through the show's own history, and I'll see you back here on January 2nd with a batch of brand new episodes. See you then. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson and it's December 9th. The Cretan Autonomous State was established on this day in 1898 under the old-style Julian calendar. That was December 21st under the Gregorian calendar. This followed a lengthy occupation of the island of Crete by the Ottoman Empire. Back during the Fourth Crusade, Crete had been sold to Venice, but the predominantly Greek population largely objected to this, and the Venetians weren't all that benevolent when it came to the Greek population. So the Ottoman Empire concluded that Crete might welcome them as liberators, and fight with them against Venice. So to that end, the Ottomans invaded Crete in 1645. Venice, though, was determined to stay in control, and this led to a lengthy standoff and a 22-year siege of the city of Candia before Venice finally ceded the island of Crete to the Ottomans on September 6th of 1669. Fast forward more than 200 years to 1896, at which point the Ottoman Empire is starting to wane and numerous other international powers have a vested interest in making sure that warfare doesn't start in the wake of this power vacuum. This included Russia, France, Italy, Great Britain, Germany, and Austria, Hungary. All of them had a vested interest in what was happening on Crete. This international team finally convinced the Ottoman Empire to reform the government of Crete and to place a Christian governor and a European commission that would oversee things like police and the courts. But at this point, Crete's population included both Christians and Muslims. And while the Christians were delighted at the idea of having a Christian government in charge, the Muslims were not. 
This led to ongoing religiously motivated violence as international powers tried and failed to put Crete under local control. The great powers had taken for granted that the Ottoman Empire would ultimately leave Crete, but it wasn't exactly clear to anyone when or how that would happen. Ultimately, there were only four nations who still were actively involved in Crete at this point. That was Russia, France, Italy, and Great Britain. They divided up the island and placed forces in each of these four quadrants that they created, and they started searching for a high commissioner who would take over the island, and that search started in the spring of 1898. Perhaps unsurprisingly, this led to huge amounts of unrest, with local residents objecting to various aspects of the rule that they were under, and this ended up in what was known as the Candiate Massacre, which started on August 25th, 1898, under the Julian calendar, or September 6th, under the Gregorian calendar. And we talked about that on this show on September 6th, which is also why some of what we've talked about might sound a little familiar. As many as 800 Christians on Crete were killed in this massacre. In the aftermath of the massacre, the British authorities tried to restore order, tried to bring the perpetrators to justice, and they became increasingly impatient and frustrated with the Ottoman forces that were still on the island. The international powers finally ordered the Ottoman forces to withdraw entirely, although the last of their force were not removed until November 6th. That same month, Russia, France, Italy, and Great Britain finally agreed on a high commissioner to take over Crete, and that was Prince George of Greece and Denmark. This was a three-year renewable term for him to act as high commissioner. He arrived on December 9th under the Julian calendar, and that's what marked the beginning of the Cretan Autonomous State. The other forces started to withdraw after the high commissioner arrived, and while this did, at least in name, create an autonomous state of Crete, it also started the process of Crete becoming increasingly connected to Greece before finally becoming part of the nation of Greece in 1913. One note about our next week of episodes, Christopher Hasiotis, whose name you have heard as a researcher on this show before, will be filling in for me as a guest host. This is going to make sure we still have podcasts over the holidays. Thanks to Eve's Jeffcoat for her research work on today's show, and thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work. You can subscribe to this day in history class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for a massive and unsolved heist. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Mosley, and I want to let you know about my new immersive BBC Radio 4 podcast series, Deep Calm. It's all about how to tap into and activate a remarkable system that we all have hardwired inside of us, our relaxation response. And it's been developed to be listened to at any time you want to really unwind. I hope you'll listen wherever you get your BBC podcast. What are you looking for in a new smart TV? 4K picture quality? High quality and immersive sound? A sleek design? All of those are givens, but only the new Roku Pro series has all of those and the Roku streaming experience, an award-winning OS. Get fast, easy access to all your apps like iHeart, where you can stream all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all day, and regular all-inclusive trips to Roku City. The new Roku Pro series, a smart TV built by the streaming pros. 
What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. Hi, everyone. I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast where we one day ship nugs of history straight to your brain through your ear hole. The day was December 9, 1979. Members of the Global Commission for the Certification of Smallpox Eradication signed a statement that declared that smallpox had been eradicated worldwide and that the return of the virus was unlikely. Smallpox, a disease caused by the variola virus, has been around for at least 3,000 years, though its origin is unknown. The disease was fatal for about three in every 10 people who contracted it. People who had smallpox got fevers, body aches, rashes, sores, and scabs. And it was contagious, spread through person-to-person contact and saliva. At first, variolation was used to control the spread of smallpox. Variolation was a method of immunization where patients would be purposefully exposed to the material from smallpox pustules so they developed symptoms of smallpox. These patients would develop a mild form of the disease and were less likely to die than those who contracted smallpox naturally. But in the 1790s, English doctor Edward Jenner realized that vaccination could prevent people from getting smallpox. At first, cowpox was used to make the smallpox vaccine, but in later years, the vaccinia virus was used to create the vaccine. By the 20th century, the smallpox vaccine had become widely available. Vaccination against smallpox became mandatory in many places around the world, and cases of smallpox declined. But smallpox remained one of the main causes of death due to infectious disease. In the 1950s, there were around 50 million cases of the disease every year. When eradication of the disease was discussed at the World Health Assembly in 1953, there was little confidence that the effort would succeed, since attempts to eradicate other diseases had failed. But Soviet epidemiologist Viktor Shadunov was convinced that freeze-dried smallpox vaccines could be the answer to an effective eradication program. World Health Organization member states voted to start a global smallpox eradication campaign at the World Health Assembly in 1959. Vaccination campaigns in some countries were successful in eliminating the disease, but the global campaign was hindered by lack of funds, lack of personnel, limited commitment from countries, and a shortage of vaccine donations. Smallpox continued to kill thousands of people in other countries, like India, Indonesia, and countries in sub-Saharan Africa. So in 1967, the World Health Organization launched the Intensified Smallpox Eradication Program, which provided technical assistance to countries' eradication campaigns. This program was more successful thanks to mass vaccination campaigns, the establishment of a surveillance system to investigate cases, and the development of the bifurcated needle. The last known natural case of smallpox was in Somalia in 1977. 
Hospital cook Ali Mao Malin, who worked in the smallpox eradication program in Somalia, was exposed to the disease while he was in a vehicle with two children who had smallpox. He recovered and later died in 2013 of malaria. After Ali Mao Malin's case, a lab accident in England that caused a minor outbreak triggered the last known instances of smallpox. Janet Parker was the last person to die of smallpox in 1978. On December 9, 1979, members of the Global Commission for Certification of Smallpox Eradication certified that smallpox had been eradicated. And in May of 1980, the World Health Assembly, acting on the recommendation of the Global Commission, announced that worldwide eradication had been achieved and that only people working with orthopox virus in research labs could use the smallpox vaccination. After the disease was declared eradicated, the stocks of the virus that remained were destroyed or sent to one of two labs, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta and the State Research Center of Virology and Biotechnology Vector in Russia. Debate later arose over whether the remaining lab stocks of variola virus should be destroyed. The World Health Organization recommended destroying it, but stocks of the virus still exist. Smallpox is the only infectious disease affecting humans that has been eradicated. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Have a hard time staying present as you mindlessly scroll through social media? Lucky for you, we're stuck in the past. At T-D-I-H-C podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or if you are so inclined, you can send us a message at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening. Merry history to all and to all a good night. Hello, iHeart listener. We have a confession to make. Both iHeart and this commercial you're listening to right now would probably sound a heck of a lot better on the new Roku Pro Series TV. It's got side-firing speakers that fill your room with sound, Dolby Atmos audio that puts you right in the middle of the entertainment, and the ability to pair seamlessly with your home theater sound systems that already have surround sound and booming bass. If all that sounds too good to be true, it'll sound even better on the new Roku Pro Series. Your hearing isn't better. Your TV is. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM, let's create. Hello, and welcome to this day in history class, a show that knows how you feel about all this Christmas business. 
I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're returning to the well of beloved Peanuts holiday specials to talk about the one that started it all and why it almost never happened. The day was December 9th, 1965. A Charlie Brown Christmas aired for the very first time on CBS. It was the first animated TV special based on the popular characters from Charles Schulz's Peanuts comic strip. Like many of the 44 specials that would follow it, the original was written by Charles Schulz, produced by Lee Mendelson, and directed by Bill Melendez, with music by Vince Guaraldi. The Peanuts Christmas special was unexpectedly mature and melancholy for an animated holiday offering. The show had a lot on its mind, taking aim at the commercialism of Christmas and devoting much of its runtime to a wistful search for meaning. It's all the more surprising then that the special was originally conceived as a way to sell soda. In the 1960s, Coca-Cola and Pepsi were locked in an ongoing advertising war for domination of the cola market. The ad agency representing Coca-Cola decided its next move should be to sponsor a family-friendly TV show, preferably a holiday special centered on an already established brand. To that end, the agency called a young documentary film producer named Lee Mendelson who was known to be working with Scholes on a short film about his life. The agency asked whether Mendelssohn and his team could deliver a Peanuts Christmas special in just six months. The producer replied, yes, without even thinking of whether the comic strip's creator would actually sign off on such a deal. Thankfully, with a little convincing, he did. Scholes quickly hammered out a story that followed Charlie Brown trying and failing to direct the school Christmas play. Mendelssohn suggested the plot include a Christmas tree, and Scholes obliged by having Charlie Brown adopt a scrawny little tree that all of his peers would mock relentlessly. A few days later, the two men sent a one-page story treatment to Coca-Cola, and the company signed off on it right away. Despite the success of the long-running Peanuts comic strip, no one involved in the special thought it was actually going to work. It's hard to imagine, since it's so iconic now, but there were a lot of factors working against the special while it was in production, and a lot of them stemmed from controversial choices that Scholes insisted on personally. For starters, he demanded that the Peanuts kids be voiced by real children. This meant the crew would be working with mostly non-professionals, many of whom were too young to memorize their lines or even to read in some cases. Most of the child actors had to have their lines fed to them a few words at a time, which was done by the long-suffering director and voice of Snoopy, Bill Melendez. You can find traces of this process in the final product. There's not a lot of rhythm to the sentences, which makes them sound a little choppy. In fact, if you listen closely, you can hear the seams between words where different parts of a line were stitched together in post. 
The untrained actors were just the first of many notes from Scholes that ended up jeopardizing the project. Another shakeup came when he refused to let the network include a laugh track to highlight the jokes for the viewers. It's hard to picture the low-key special with a laugh track, especially since it obviously wasn't filmed in front of a live studio audience. But canned laughter was a staple of TV comedy at the time, even in cartoons, like the Flintstones, for instance. However, when producer Lee Mendelssohn mentioned the idea to Scholes, the artist quickly shot it down. When Mendelssohn pleaded that the special would drag without it, Scholes put his foot down by standing up and leaving the room without a word. A few minutes later, he reportedly came back and carried on as if nothing had ever happened. Mendelssohn took the hint and gave up on the idea of a laugh track. Another point of contention were the special's heavier themes, such as the commercialization of Christmas and the climactic scene in which Linus reads from the Bible. Scholes insisted on those elements because it was important to him that the special explore what he considered the true meaning of Christmas. And that's why Linus reads the story of Jesus' birth straight from the Gospel of St. Luke. This was a pretty risky move at the time, because according to The Atlantic, less than 9% of Christmas episodes and specials from the era contained religious references of any kind, much less direct quotes from scripture. Surprisingly, CBS didn't object to the inclusion, and neither did Coca-Cola. However, producer Lee Mendelssohn was nervous once again. He told Scholes that no animated character had ever read from the Bible before, which, to Scholes, was all the more reason to do it. He told Mendelssohn, quote, Well, if we don't do it, who will? You might imagine that CBS and Coca-Cola must have really liked what they saw if they let the religious theme stand without pushback. But in reality, an executive from Coke's ad agency actually visited the crew halfway through production and said the special was shaping up to be a disaster. And CBS thought the same thing when they screened an early cut just three weeks before the premiere. The network said there was too little action and that the whole thing moved way too slowly, not to mention the low-energy voice acting and the jazz soundtrack, which they found annoying. Bill Melendez later said that the network would have scrapped the special altogether, except that they had made a commitment to Coke, and it was too late to back out. So the show went on, as scheduled, and to everyone's surprise, viewers tuned in in droves. In fact, 45% of all American TVs in use that night were tuned to the special, accounting for roughly 15 million people. And as for that annoying jazz soundtrack, provided by pianist and composer Vince Guaraldi, it became iconic in its own right. The tune, called Linus and Lucy, even went on to become the theme song for the whole Peanuts brand. A few months after the special aired, Charles Scholes and Lee Mendelssohn found themselves on stage at the Emmys, accepting the 1966 Award for Outstanding Children's Program. 
the Peanuts Christmas special was the surprise hit that no one had seen coming, and that includes Charles Scholes himself. As he later told TV Guide in 1985, quote, The continued success of the special has surprised me as much as anyone. A lot of the drawings are terrible. Of course, those terrible drawings were based on his own designs, so take from that what you will. The executives at CBS were also caught off guard by the success, though they moved quickly to capitalize on it anyway. Soon after the special's premiere, the network called Mendelssohn and ordered four more Peanut specials, with many more to follow. Less than a week later, CBS also announced that it would rebroadcast the special the following Christmas, launching an annual tradition that's continued across various networks for more than half a century. The main difference between the original broadcast and its yearly re-airings is that the Coca-Cola branding was removed from the opening and closing sequences. The glowing reception of A Charlie Brown Christmas encouraged CBS and other networks to invest in more primetime holiday specials, many of which also became part of yearly family celebrations. In fact, the very next year, in 1966, CBS premiered its second animated holiday special, an adaptation of Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. But that's a story for another day. A story for December 18th, to be precise. I'm Gabe Lusier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have a second, consider following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHC Show. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can write to us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks as always to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What are you looking for in a new smart TV? 4K picture quality? High quality and immersive sound? A sleek design? All of those are givens, but only the new Roku Pro series has all of those and the Roku streaming experience, an award-winning OS. Get fast, easy access to all your apps like iHeart, where you can stream all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all day, and regular all-inclusive trips to Roku City. The new Roku Pro series, a smart TV built by the streaming pros. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriment, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. 
doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific, you don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com.